an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't care. I don't care. I never have. Never will. Yeah, right. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the Bet the Board Podcast. God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end, I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners, and I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing? Here's Payne Insider and Todd Furman. Week 17 Bet the Board podcast powered by Bet Online. Oh, where the weeks have gone, I'm not quite sure. It's bittersweet that we'll wrap up the NFL regular season with only a handful of games with playoff implications. Fortunately, there's plenty of wagering to go on to keep you entertained for the final Sunday of the season. I'm your host, Todd Furman. You can follow me on Twitter, at Todd Furman. I'm joined by my esteemed colleague and co-host, one of the best analysts in the business when it comes to the NFL gambling side of things, Payne Insider. You can follow him at Payne Insider. Payne, uh, nice little sweat for us on Monday night with the Bengals and Broncos, huh? Very important to get the best of the number, navigate the market in your favor, and, uh, you know, we got to push there. So I'm okay with that. Many others probably lost. There was some uh, late buyback money and a position taken by another group at four and a half. Uh, They cashed that ticket. But uh, it was an interesting end of the game, that's for sure. Always important to get the best of the number. If you haven't subscribed to the Bet the Board podcast yet, well, the season may almost be over, but iTunes, SoundCloud, visit us at toddstake.com. Or, and also follow our producer, Sam Paniotovich, at SP Shoot. So, Payne, when we watch that game between Denver and Cincinnati, clearly we knew the various scenarios that could play out uh, for the Broncos going from being in contention to win that number one overall seed in the AFC to potentially missing the playoffs entirely. Going down 14 nothing against Cincinnati, it looked like a doomsday scenario. Clearly, Denver didn't have their offense clicking in full gear, but for the first time in about three or four weeks, they looked like a juggernaut in the second half. The defense rose up to the occasion. Uh, what's our major takeaway from that offense, from Denver's defensive effort, uh, and Brock Osweiler's performance overall in the face of adversity? You know, I've kind of been a huge proponent of Brock Osweiler. Didn't start so hot battling the separated shoulder, non-throwing shoulder. They came out a little slow, and it started to make me have a flashback of last year when that defense kind of started to disintegrate late in that year. But when you really look at what materialized there, 
Uh, A.J. McCarron and Hugh Jackson, mostly Hugh Jackson, came up with a fantastic script. You know, he threw the kitchen sink on the first two possessions at that Denver defense. You know, many teams will script the first 15 to 25 plays, especially for young QBs. Once that script ran its course, the Bengals put up three points, you know, the final 41 minutes of that game. So the defense held its own, kept the team in the game, Huge missed field goal there to end the half. It was a six-point swing there. Denver goes down and gets three, carries some momentum into the locker room. But Brock Osweiler showed up in the second half. He really likes to take some deep shots. There's a couple times in that second half at 14-10 to 10 where there was an intermediate route wide open to the tight end on third and three, third and four. We could just pick up the first down, and he'd take a deep shot down the field. That's something Peyton Manning can't offer this offense. So I, I like the prospects of Brock Osweiler. I really do. And when you're talking about a guy that has less than 10 career starts, it's only going to go up from here. I, re- I truly believe that. And you mentioned some of the adjustments that were made. Final stats show Denver offense averaging 6.2 yards per play. Uh, the defense rose to the occasion, held Cincinnati to 4.2. On the other side of the equation, you mentioned the scripted plays and how good Cincinnati looked early. Uh, what did you see from A.J. McCarron, good, bad, or indifferent in that performance? I think overall it was it was pretty impressive for him on the road, hostile environment against that Broncos defense. We talked about, you know, that first drive. There was some great throws there. There was also some great catches there. Uh, there was one on the sidelines to Jones, the touchdown to A.J. Green. Uh, you know, not that they were fluke plays. They were not, but some some great catches by his receivers. So he was helped out there. After those first two possessions of just kitchen sink, Hugh Jackson literally threw his best best work out there in those two possessions. It was a little different showing for A.J. McCarron. There was a great throw there in the fourth quarter. It was like a third and 15 pressure in his face. He throws it in between four guys, and that was a great throw. So you can kind of see that there in his game again. This is a guy who's got less than five starts in the NFL, and this kind of brings you to that next question is, why aren't teams drafting quarterbacks every other year, every year, just to keep them you know, on the bench learning? And when you look at A.J. McCarron, there's really not a huge drop-off uh, from Andy Dalton, and you're paying a guy nearly $100 million for roughly the same performance. I think this week, though, uh, you're going to have to look at A.J. McCarron. He's going in for an MRI on that, on that wrist probably right now as we speak. If he's not able to go, you're looking at Keith Wenning potentially starting for the Bengals this week, uh, the pride of the Ball State Cardinals. So I think if that were the case, you're probably looking at a lot of Mohamed Sanu in that Wildcat situation. A scary prospect for sure. Uh, before we put a bow on that, on that Monday night campaign, playoff outlook for both the Broncos and Bengals, did you see enough from both teams last night or obviously over the course of 15 regular season games thus far that leads you to believe either of them can come out of the AFC and represent the conference in the Super Bowl? I can't do anything with the Bengals with the quarterback situation at this point. Uh, Broncos, a little different. You know, that defense can carry them. Brock Osweiler can make enough plays to where, you know, they could be a threat there. We talked about this a couple weeks ago as square as it was when the number one seed was still up for grabs, thinking 5-1 to one on the Patriots were a great price. Um, so, for me, I, I can't buck the Patriots at this point. And clearly that wasn't the only game of Week 16. Plenty of other things that we could take away for betting purposes coming up in the final week of the regular season moving forward. Uh, what were some of the main things that jumped off this card for Sunday's games, Payne? Uh, you know, we were pretty, 
pretty heavy on the St. Louis Rams, and I think that'll kind of be a teaching point moving forward in this podcast. You get teams that aren't necessarily playing for a ton, and yes, Seattle is playing for some positioning, whether they're the five seed or the six seed. Um, and then you're going to have other teams that have built-in motivation, not necessarily that's um, on the surface to the casual fan. But the Rams went in there. Um, that was a huge game for them. They got the ground game going. Uh, that was their first win in Seattle since 2004. They do it outright as you could have got them as high as a 13.5-point dog. So um, taking a teaching point away from that this week, you're going to have to do your reading where there's a lot of surface teams where – this team must win. The other team uh, has nothing to play for, and the market's going to dictate mm-hmm. that. But if you do some reading, you're going to have some built-in motivation. Teams trying to get the 500, teams trying to play for a coach, et cetera, et cetera. 200 yards of offense in that win when you dig into the box score there for St. Louis. So clearly the defense benefited immensely from a defensive score uh, and held that game pretty much in check from start to finish, the kind of effort that we thought we'd see from St. Louis more frequently during the course of the season. You mentioned St. Louis and their, what they did against a divisional rival. Clearly for me, uh, the Ravens going out there and beating Pittsburgh as a 10-point dog, nothing fluke-like about that. They outgained the Steelers, they were better defensively, and Ryan Mallett in his debut wearing the black and purple uh, showed me a lot of command leading the offense uh, and also leaned on Buck Allen to get the ground game going. Yeah, Uh <laughs> We talked about Ryan Mallett potentially being an upgrade. He was uh, through for nearly 300 yards. Uh, he had a nice game. He did what needed to be done, moved the offense around. Uh, Javoris Allen gave them a nice one-two punch there. That's a game, again, we talked about where Pittsburgh has everything in the world to play for. But Baltimore, this is their biggest rival. And you can get up for one week. You can rally within the locker room and say, listen, we're going home. This was a crap season, but we would like nothing more than to send our biggest rival home as well. And so there's that built-in motivation that necessarily isn't on the surface where the casual fan says, man, the Steelers need this like blood. Baltimore Ravens aren't very good. Therefore, when football team, this is going to be easy, and it's just not the case. A couple young quarterbacks I wanted to get your thoughts on. We'll start with the Christmas Eve game. The Oakland Raiders against the Chargers, Derek Carr, his performance there. And then, of course, on Sunday, one of the other big professional positions that I know we all sat with a ticket on, uh, Johnny Manziel and the Cleveland Browns covering the 10-and-a-half, but the, some of the aftermath that surfaced uh, in that four-point loss. I think for Derek Carr, that was a weird game. Uh, there was early professional money on Oakland. I did like that side a little bit. There was a lot of late professional money on San Diego. And when you look at that game, Tough to gauge because I think the Raiders played about six minutes of good football and still had a shot to cover that, if not for two drop touchdowns in overtime. Uh, But when you look at Derek Carr and you look at this offense, we've talked about their struggles for two months now in the fourth quarter. We've talked about Derek Carr regressing. We've talked about Amari Cooper hitting that rookie wall, and it looks like Derek Carr is starting to struggle the past month. He's hit that wall, too. Uh, He's getting very, very good protection from the offensive line. That's not the issue, so there's really no excuses. You'll break down the last three weeks, 58 of 114, roughly 50% completions. And to kind of put that into perspective, Andrew Luck is one of 35 qualifying QBs. He ranks dead last, 35 in completion percentage, at 55%. That's how bad Derek Carr's been. Um, You would think he's taking deep shots, but that's not the case either. 5.3 5.3 yards per pass completion. So he's been horrific. On the other side, 
Uh, we were on Cleveland pretty big. Johnny Manziel did enough with his feet, completed enough big passes, but he wasn't great either. I think 13 to 32, just 136 yards passing. Uh, there's really no deep threat. I think at this point, though, you have to look at him. He gives you a chance. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he does this week against Pittsburgh. He had very, very good success, although the scoreboard didn't dictate it, uh, in Pittsburgh a few weeks back. In your opinion, with Johnny and his off-field antics, clearly drew a ton of scrutiny. Mike Patton saying he was going to have a sit-down with him. Uh, another video surfaced him drinking Four loco, which mind-boggling to me since that's a drink for teenagers, and I know how nasty those hangovers can get. Do you think this guy can be the face of a franchise moving forward? I'm not sure. I'm not. You're right over there. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little choked up talking about Johnny and his future. Man down. Uh, I, I'm not not a huge Manziel guy, but what they invested in him, what they had to give up um, to move up and, and get him, I'm not sure you just throw in the towel yet when you're talking about a Cleveland organization that has nothing there. They haven't had a quarterback in God knows how long. He at least provides some hope. He at least provides fans feeling like there's something potentially there that they can grasp onto, that they're going to show up to the games. Um, you certainly have to draft another quarterback. There's no doubt about that. I don't think there's anything wrong with any team drafting quarterbacks. When you see a team like the New England Patriots going out there and getting Garoppolo early in that draft, that tells you that you need to get quarterbacks. So we shouldn't be worried. They shouldn't be worried about offending Johnny Manziel and potentially giving him some real competition, not named you know Josh McCown, who's, who's almost 40 years old. So absolutely you have to draft a quarterback. Um, you have to provide some competition, but I'm not sure you throw Manziel to the wayside just yet. Mentioning the future of various quarterbacks, two teams in the NFC East, one whose season came to a screeching halt uh, in a home game Saturday night, the others whose looks a lot brighter as they'll make their way into the playoffs as division champions. The future of the Philadelphia Eagles, we saw our friends at Bet Online hang a number there. Chip Kelly, a thirty favorite to return as head coach, and of course the team that beat them and put the final nail in their coffin this season, the Washington Redskins and the continued emergence of Kirk Cousins. I really don't know how to gauge the Philadelphia Eagles. Clearly it was a lackluster season, extremely disappointing, had such high hopes for them. Uh, after their preseason performance. But I just don't think Chip Kelly's become a bumbling idiot overnight. You know, This is a guy who inherited a four-win team, back-to-back double-digit win seasons. Yes, down this year, probably his ego did get to him a little bit in terms of what he thought his system could provide offensively. He's come out and and been honest about it. I'm going to invest my money on defense because I know I'm not as good there as a coach. And I think my offensive system is going to be okay with certain guys. And I'm going to spend my money on defense. When you give him the rash of crap the media has given him for not signing certain guys, let's paint the picture on some of these guys. Number one, you're talking about a left guard in Evan Mathis who was trying to basically hold the franchise hostage. He's 34 years old in the guard and wanted like $16 million over three years. Didn't even come close to getting that. I don't think that was a bad guy to let go. Deshaun Jackson, I mean, if there's a bigger cancer in football, let let me know. Um, I'm not signing him to a long-term deal. Jeremy Macklin, yes, he's had a great season. Yes, he's a good player, but he was never healthy. Giving him $60 million, uh, I could see why you defer on that option as well. 
Um, so none of the signings are, or non, non-signings, I didn't think they were horrible. Yes, you have to replace those guys. His draft, uh, I don't think, was very good this year. Uh, you go up and you think you're comfortable with Aguilar. Not overly talented. Uh, Eric Rowe, a guy he was familiar with, not overly talented. So uh, the drafting wasn't very good from him, and, and maybe he's going to have to come in and bring someone in to, to do some drafting for him. Well, spending your money and or draft picks on the defensive side of the ball clearly has worked out and been the mentality that Bill Belichick has utilized forever. Make the case that Chip Kelly just needs to find the perfect pivot to run his system at the quarterback position. It will be very intriguing to see the direction the Eagles elect to go there. And before we close up shop uh, on this segment, uh, a couple of other teams real quick, Payne. Falcons, uh, blueprint for slowing down Carolina or an aberration, and then more importantly, the biggest game of the day, at least or what was expected to be on paper, are we buying the Cardinals or selling the Packers after that bloodbath in the desert? Uh, I think you really have to, again, you know, do your reading with some of these games. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons were embarrassed 38 to nothing literally two weeks ago. Uh, they kind of had some bulletin board material. They said, you know, uh, the Carolina Panthers were taking pictures on the sidelines together in the middle of this game, talking crap, all this. So this was a big game for them. Uh, I think it was kind of the perfect storm where Carolina thought they'd go in there and just win with ease, and they caught a pissed-off Atlanta Falcons team in a good spot who, yes, mathematically were still alive for the playoffs, but were treating this like their Super Bowl. And they stay committed to the ground game. I know it won't look overly effective uh, from the yards per carry uh, attempt, but uh, they they kind of established that ground game. They didn't put it all on Matt Ryan and leave him back there to just be slaughtered. Uh, so I think there was a small blueprint there, but I, I think it was kind of a down spot there for, for Carolina as well. Just so many weeks having to get up and win games. It, it makes it tough. Um, so I'm not really taking a ton away from, from that game. Uh, the Cardinals-Packers game, I mean, we've been selling Green Bay for how long? Uh, we've talked about this team being a fraud for over a month now. That being said, that is a general comment. I know we'll get to this game in further detail down the line. But, yes, that's a general comment for Green Bay. We've been selling them for, for months. Uh, I don't think they're very good. I thought I wanted to give them a second chance when Mike McCarthy took back the reins on the play calling. And, again, that game in Oakland was a complete fraud when you think, you know, they hang 30 points there and you're like, oh, they're back offensively. But if you watch that game, if you really dug into the box score, uh, Green Bay was far from being back. Man, you hear there, the one, the only Payne Insider. You can follow him on Twitter, at Payne Insider. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there as well, at Todd Furman. SoundCloud, iTunes, the best places to subscribe to the Bet the Board podcast. You can also check us out at Todd's Take. Dot com. Payne, you mentioned some of the games, and of course, as we sit here and record on a abbreviated holiday week on a Tuesday, a lot of these numbers not on the big board for <clears throat> Week 17, but let's start at the top with a game that will have major playoff implications. Two rivals in the AFC East locking horns, and we've seen the market, uh, I'm going to call it what it is, overreact based on one week's worth of results. The Jets now a three-point road favorite at Buffalo, a game where Buffalo would have been a one-and-a-half-point chalk had they locked up in Week 16. One of few podcasts, by the way, doing a Week 17 edition. Uh, A lot of people don't like the potential for lots of uncertain information, uh, and we hope to provide that, that certainty here. Now, it is a Tuesday, so a lot is going to change from now until Sunday. Uh, But when you look at this game, the public is on the Jets, and I think this was kind of the perfect storm to get the market going. 
uh, I would anticipate uh, some Buffalo <laughs> money entering the market at some point here. Uh, and, and this is a game that Rex Ryan is going to want like blood. We have seen lesser teams uh, kind of dash the hopes of the Dolphins the last few years uh, when the Jets had really nothing to play for and the Dolphins were trying to make that move uh, into the playoffs. He went into Miami last year, beat them. I think this is a game that they're going to want to get up for. Now, Buffalo isn't very good. Let's just kind of paint that picture. The defense is horrendous. Uh, the Jets absolutely need this game like blood, but at some point the market's going to dictate a price that provides value on Buffalo. Most people made this game a pick 'em. Jets minus one. Uh, so you you can kind of push that to where you want to go early in the week with very very little money. Um, it, it kind of gets the ball rolling, and I think we'll see some point uh, some Buffalo money. I think they would love to take some three and a half on Buffalo. And we saw the Bills get back to basics a week ago, running the ball, what felt like 125 plays, only allowing Tyrod Taylor to throw when, when completely necessary. Of course, facing Kellen Moore and the downtrodden Cowboys, a lot different story than what we'll see from the Jets, the same Jets team who looked pretty good in a win against New England. That being said, it felt like New England's B team was out there, and Bill Belichick making an interesting decision, uh, electing to punt, a punt, kick the football off, to start overtime. So we may as well look at the Patriots. They're on the road at Miami. A big number for New England laying nine at the Dolphins. Uh, a game where we saw the Patriots only a seven and a half, eight point chalk when they played host to Miami, what felt like an eternity of go in the middle of October. Yeah, uh, I'm not really sure how big that number is. <laughs> when you talk about this Dolphins team, uh, if you've ever seen like a live water birth, that's kind of the Miami Dolphins visual here. Uh, they are a train wreck internally. Uh, they are really, really beat up. Uh, Ryan Tannehill, still a question mark for this game, although Dan Campbell says he expects him to play. The huge cog here that needs to come back is Mike Pouncey. The offensive line is a mess, and without Mike Pouncey at center, they become very, very bad. Uh, so that is going to be a tough matchup for them. It's extremely square, but I have no faith in this Dolphins team. Again, the things that they can't do defensively, that is where the Patriots like to operate, over the middle with backs and tight ends against a team that could not cover a tight end or back if their life depended on it. I'd be looking, and it's going to be square, uh, but I know this Dolphins team very well. I'd be looking to tease this game down, um, get it to minus two. So that's that's the way I'm going to be looking once the market kind of opens fully. Yes, there are some nines out there. I know Bet Online has that as well. A couple shops out uh, in your neck of the woods in Vegas, but uh, that's the way I would be looking as square as it is. Yeah, not a widely pervasive number just yet. The offshore world, as you mentioned, Bet Online does have the number at nine. Total in that game sits at forty-seven and a half. New Orleans and Atlanta, a game. I don't want to say it's got a lot of intrigue because it doesn't have playoff implications, but we saw the Saints' offense look outstanding last week against the Jags. Drew Brees throwing for over 400 yards. Uh, as we said, Atlanta put together one of their more complete efforts of the season, got revenge for Carolina. Uh, this was a spot earlier this year where uh, we saw New Orleans as a live home dog on a Thursday night get the cash again that we were both pretty bullish on. Falcons overvalued here, laying more than a field goal with a four-point number and the total sitting at 52. I think the total is probably pretty interesting when you talk about this Atlanta team. What I think they've gone under in nine straight now. It opens 52. Uh, one of the sharper books came in, opened a little higher than that. This kind of feels like a game where nobody has anything to play for. Uh, Atlanta officially eliminated. 
And this is kind of one of those fun and gun games. And the one aspect and takeaway that you can have here is we talk about New Orleans away from the dome, away from home. Well, yes, they're on the road, but they, they get the fortunes of a dome here. I think this could be fun and gun. I also think when you look at Atlanta last week, they kind of you know blew their load, and that was their Super Bowl. Now they're officially eliminated. The potential here for the Breeze-Sean Payton combination uh, potentially coming to an end, being its last game, I, I think I'd have to look here at taking the Saints at four and a half. Uh, again, this is a Tuesday. The market is extremely soft at this point. Have not invested in this game, but right now that's the way I would lean, uh, and we'll see if that comes to fruition as, as the limits increase further down the week. I wanted your thoughts real quick on this game. We see Pittsburgh, a double-digit road favorite for the second week in a row, this time at Cleveland. Power number-wise, I'm not sure how Cleveland and Baltimore compare this late in the season. But interestingly enough, for it was impossible for books to get a, anyone buying tickets on Baltimore aside from uh, the professionals. This week looks to be a little bit different. I think we're going to see balanced two-way action. Pittsburgh in a bounce-back spot laying a big number on the highway. Yeah, you know, clearly there's going to be some inflation here. But at the same time, I am not running to back Cleveland in this specific spot, matchups-wise. I think Pittsburgh comes out with their hair on fire. This Cleveland secondary is just horrible, and I think there will be some advantages found there. Johnny Manziel, I alluded to this earlier, his trip to Pittsburgh. I think there's going to be some opportunities in that secondary as well. I know they only hung nine points, uh, but Manziel took the Browns into the red zone four times. I think he was 33 of 45 that game, threw for nearly 400 yards. If the weather is good, uh, I could see some fireworks in this one. Two of the more interesting games, both divisional showdowns as well. And we'll go out of rotation order for this one to make sure we highlight the Sunday night game last. Seahawks at Cardinals, we saw this number open 3.5 out to 4.5 right now. Total, uh, we'll call it 47.5. And actually, the number bet online, the o- one of the only fours you can find in the offshore world r- at this point. Bruce Arians never likes to take his foot off the gas. Clearly, this game will be impacted by Carolina's result against Tampa Bay, but to the NFL's credit, they have those two games going on simultaneously, so you're still looking at a scenario where Arizona, if things break the right way, can take over that number one seed in the NFC. Yeah, when you look at this, again, Seattle, you know, not a ton to play for here. They're in the playoffs, it's either a five seed, it's either a six seed, and they're going to carry that mentality, that swag with they don't care where the heck they're going, they're just going to pound the opponent. So not a huge, meaningful game here for Seattle. Yes, it's a division game. We saw some early money in the market on Arizona, taking it from 3.5 out to 4.5. And And one thing with this is, obviously, Arizona, tons to play for in this game, could potentially take down that number one seed and a bye uh, with a Carolina loss. But Seattle, on the other hand, there's a reason we've kind of been fading them the last few weeks. I took a full position on the Rams. I hesitated the week before, thank God against the Browns, but I still think the Browns are probably the right side there. They are asking a lot of Russell Wilson right now. Thomas Rawls is a huge loss. They're having trouble getting that ground game going, and it is all on Russell Wilson right now. This is really tough for him. Uh, They're going to need beast mode back. I kind of had to click them down in the power rankings this week, just seeing them not be able to establish a ground game. Uh, so this is something I really want to monitor here for Seattle. I'm not sure there's a ton to play for here for Seattle, and, and that would keep me off them. I'm sure at some point, again, that price is going to dictate uh, a division game, a rival game, that, that someone's going to be on Seattle. But 
Uh, for me, at four and a half, I, I can't back Seattle. And in a game now on Sunday night where there's plenty to play for with a division title on the line. Of course, both teams already have clinched up playoff spots. It's just a question of who will go out on the highway versus who will get a home game. You mentioned the Packers earlier, a team that none of us are buying. Uh, this number opened three. Now you have to lay three minus a dollar and a quarter. Total in this game has taken some pretty sharp money, even early in the week as we sit here on Tuesday from 48.5 at the peak down to 46.5 at Bet Online. And when we look at the early indication of bet splits, I think this is going to be one of the better two-way action games we'll see of the entire weekend. We didn't mention the Vikings in the Week 16 takeaways. That 49-17 victory uh, against the Giants I think was a little bit misleading on Sunday night given that once Eli Manning had to start chucking the ball all over the yard, uh, Minnesota was able to play downhill. But the Vikings and Packers locking horns at Lambeau. Very intriguing game here, and they'll duke it out for the NFC North. I'm not sure if you're the Packers, the prize behind the wall is something Green Bay wants. Uh, They potentially face the sixth seed, which is currently occupied by the Seattle Seahawks. A trip back to Lambeau with revenge from an earlier season loss there would be uh, intriguing. I I don't think Seattle would mind that trip. So I guess, like, you don't want to go out and throw the division, but if you're the Packers, would you rather face Seattle at home or, or Kirk Cousins uh, and the Redskins on the road. Quite the question there. I'm not really sure how I would feel about that. Uh, total, as you alluded to, absolutely real. Uh, at 48.5, going under there at 46.5, much tougher proposition. I did make it 45, so if you can probably snag a 47, 47.5, maybe some value there still. Uh, from a side perspective, I kind of talked about this earlier. Uh, I'm definitely selling Green Bay as a whole. Uh, if there was ever a spot to back them, uh, you know, it's probably here. Not sure I can uh, muster up the courage to do it, but I think potentially uh, you could see some pro money on Green Bay, and we've already seen a little bit of it. Did you see anything last Sunday from the Vikings getting three key contributors on the defensive side back that makes you believe this team may be capable of kind of playing spoiler and or putting together a Cinderella-type run in the NFC playoff picture? I hope so. <laughs> He's alive. Uh, appreciate you chiming in there, Sam, after a rough night. But uh, Teddy Bridgewater's come along the last few weeks, starting to show improvements there. But this is a team that's going to rely on their defense. Yes, three huge key cogs back. They still have issues stopping the run a little bit. Uh, and I think this is a game where you really need to establish Eddie Lacy. If the Packers are going to have any success in the playoffs, they really need to get this guy going. Uh, potentially not feed him this week, you know, have him shed 10 pounds by Sunday. But they're going to need him to go. They need him for the playoffs, and this is the type of game that they'll need him for because, again, as good as the Vikings' defense is, they have trouble stopping the run. Um, And what would be intriguing here is a potential rematch next week, um, you know, having Minnesota back in Lambeau Field. So it'll be interesting to see what what both these teams want to show, obviously, for the division uh, both teams will be full force, but I just think this is a potential spot here uh, where Green Bay gets healthy. The price now is in that range, right? You're talking Lambeau Field potentially being worth three and a half, four, and the market saying that these two teams are equal. And as nice as the season has been for Minnesota, I don't make these teams equal as bad as Green Bay has been. So uh, I think you will again see some professional money on Green Bay. Yeah, I don't think any of us make these teams equal. We talked about it last week. Uh, Arizona and what that home field advantage meant to the Cardinals. 
three, three and a half points. You saw that number sit at four. Uh, the blanket generalization that Minnesota, Green Bay, and Arizona over the last two weeks uh, have shown to be equals as far as some of these power ratings are concerned. I don't think anybody out there would make that case. Now, Payne, I know we covered a, a number of the games, and of course, as you mentioned, it is a Tuesday early in the week, so some of the information ongoing is a fluid situation. Uh, was there one or two other games that uh, maybe caught your eye, or have we hit on some of the big ones that you really wanted to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, we touched on a lot of uh, the interesting games. I mean, the games that I was looking at, obviously, you know, we talked about that. I, I definitely think that's uh, some funny money on the Jets. Also, you know, a couple guys getting out getting a decent price, but I think uh, when it's when the dust settles, you're probably looking at Buffalo's being the true side there, uh, especially if you can get three and a half. Tampa Bay is an interesting game. Uh, not haven't done anything yet there. Have seen some early sharp money on the dog. Uh, we know Tampa Bay definitely plays better away from home for whatever reason as is that is. Uh, they play pretty well uh, as a dog on the road. Saints again, little intrigued there. We'll see what happens there. Uh, I mean, you pretty much touched on all the games we'd be looking at over 47 in the Cleveland game potentially. Uh, you know, we've already bet the under in the Green Bay game. Haven't done anything with the side there yet, though. Um, and an interesting game, Denver-San Diego. Uh, potentially a little work there. Wouldn't mind taking 10. So. <laughs> uh, little ways to go to get it from uh, 9 at the peak where it sits right now, but uh, we've seen crazier things in the market for sure. NFL Week 17, sometimes one of the biggest challenges for the recreational bettors that are out there. So, folks, take a, a lot of our information. Heat it with caution. And remember, there'll be some great investing opportunities, not only throughout the course of this Sunday, uh, but also the NFL playoffs and beyond. Important announcement to keep in mind, the Monday podcast goes by the wayside. Uh, We'll be on with you each and every Thursday until we crown a Super Bowl 50 champion. For all you college football betting enthusiasts, we did record the Bet the Board College Football Bull Bonanza with special guest Clay Travis and plenty of great Big Ten input uh, from our insider there with Sam Paniotovich. So for all of our loyal listeners, I want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every week throughout the course of the NFL regular season. Wish you a happy and healthy New Year. Please be smart. Uh, Payne, any final uh, words of wisdom, advice, or otherwise uh, as folks look to put a final touch on what's been an interesting 2015? No, I mean, I hope everybody has a happy and healthy New Year's. Best of luck with all your endeavors in 2016. For Payne Insider, you can follow him on Twitter, at Payne Insider. I'm Todd Furman. You can follow me there as well, at Todd Furman. Follow our producer, Sam Paniotovich, at SP Shoot. Sign up SoundCloud, iTunes. Visit us, Todstake.com. Best of luck with all your NFL wagers. Week 17 and throughout the bowl season, hopefully we'll be seeing you at the window. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.